0: Uh, let me pray as I, um, as I come to this passage, as we all come to it together in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you that you've given us your word uh, to reveal uh, your Savior, uh, uh, your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts uh, to hear your word now, uh, to receive it by faith, And Father, may you show us the glory of the Lord Jesus as we look at this passage now. In his name, amen. Sometimes people's devotion to another person uh, shocks us somewhat. I was reading an article recently that introduced me to someone who quite possibly could be one of Queen Elizabeth's biggest devotees. Sheila Clarke is a 60-year-old home economics teacher in Britain, and she has followed the queen for over 50 years of her life. She has attended more than 100 royal wedding events in her lifetime. She has taken uh, over 10,000 pictures of the royal family during her travels. She has more than 400 royal mugs, 60 memorabilia plates, countless books dedicated to the monarch on the walls of her little semi-attached home. But one of Sheila's greatest moments came when the Queen actually recognised her uh, in one of her public outings. The Queen asked her driver to stop, and she actually had a five to ten minute conversation with Sheila. Sheila says it was surreal. The corgis were barking in the back She had just taken them for a walk. So summing up her attitude towards the queen in this article, Sheila says this, I think Her Majesty the Queen is amazing. Well, in our passage tonight, we see uh, an even more impressive devotion that may shock some of us. Given to an even greater royal figure. The devotion of Mary is not simply uh, the devotion of a star struck fan. No, it's the deep, passionate, wonderful devotion of a woman and her family to the one who had raised their brother from the dead, Jesus. He is the object of their devotion. And so this passage begins with a picture of wonderful devotion to Jesus, but it then moves to show Jesus riding into Jerusalem as the king who is truly worthy of that devotion. And so what we have in uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 19, is wonderful devotion to a worthy king. And that's how we're going to break up the text tonight. So keep your Bibles open as we work through it. So first, wonderful devotion. See, this passage begins with a picture of utter thankfulness. See, Jesus had only uh, days ago raised Lazarus from death to life. Uh, Lazarus's two sisters, I imagine, are still shaking with the ecstasy of that moment Lazarus himself probably can't stop pinching his arm to make sure he's actually really there. And the whole town of Bethany, I imagine, is rejoicing at what had happened. And we read that a party is thrown in honour of Jesus. And it's from within the context of this party in Bethany that we get a picture of what happens when someone's heart is absolutely captivated by Jesus' life-giving love for them. Now, I'm going to suggest that verses 1 to 11 gives us four characteristics of wonderful devotion to Jesus that are worth considering. Immensely practical, incredibly costly, personally humbling, and socially scandalous. So first, wonderful devotion to Jesus is shown here to be immensely practical. And we actually see that, first and foremost, not in Mary's actions, but in Martha's actions. You see, Martha uses her practical gifts of service, cooking, preparing food, out of great love for her Lord. Did you notice that look at verses 1 to 2? Uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had re- raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the dinner table with him. Now you can just imagine kind of what's going on every time Martha comes in and out of those kitchen doors with more food and drink in her hands, she's probably thinking, man, my brother is alive, sitting there, next to Jesus. I am going to employ all my culinary skills I have to make this the biggest, the most delicious party I can, because Jesus is worth it. You see, wonderful devotion gets practical You will use whatever gifts or interests you have for the sake of honoring Christ. Uh, One of our friends is a great example of someone who is immensely practical in her devotion to Jesus. See, one of her gifts is quilting. Not one of mine, one of hers. And for each one of our children, she has made them all a little quilt, and on that quilt is written a Bible verse that she hopes will keep pointing them to Jesus as they snuggle in tight to that quilt and we read it to them. She's currently making one for our youngest daughter, Heidi. And what's the verse she's, got, she's put on it? John 11, 25 to 26. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she actually left the do you believe this at the end of it, so Heidi would grow up asking herself, do I believe this? Martha is only mentioned briefly here, but she actually stands as a beautiful example of what it looks like to use whatever practical gifts God has given you in worship of Jesus. But, second, wonderful devotion to Jesus is costly. And that's the first thing we learned from Mary's willingness to pour out the contents of that outrageously expensive perfume all over the feet of Jesus. See, let's read that uh, verse three, that action. Then Mary took about a pint, which was about half a litre, of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, Most of us have had that experience of walking through Maya uh, in the perfume section, Uh, We know that sudden sensation of all the smells, the aromas, the scents of various kinds of overpriced perfume. Um, But I imagine being in this room, after that much pure nard goes down on Jesus' feet, just imagine the smell. And you see, Mary's perfume really was the real deal. We're told it's pure nard. It was an exotic perfume a form of perfume or oil sourced from India. It was expensive because there wasn't just a little bit of it. There was half a litre of this stuff. Uh, Judas actually tells us in verse 5, doesn't he, that it was worth around a year's wages. Now, I just Googled before uh, how much on average uh, Aussies make in a year, and the answer was $82,000. Now, that just sounds crazy, so I'm going to be a bit conservative and bring it back down to, like, 60. Just imagine that. 60 grand, glug, 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 all over Jesus' feet. See, I think we cringe at the idea of tipping out tens of thousands of dollars' worth of perfume. But, see, not Mary. See, I bet she wished she had another few bottles, to do the same thing over dessert, then again over cuppers later on, and then again just before he goes home. You see, Jesus gave Mary back her brother. Jesus is Mary's priceless treasure, not this bottle. And she is happy to give her best in honor of him. But costly devotion is not just financial. Uh, It uh, demands other resources that we have. But I think actually we get another picture of costly devotion in this passage in Lazarus. You see, look at Lazarus in this passage. Did you notice the cost or the risk Lazarus was making in verses 9 to 11? I didn't quite see this when I first read it. I saw it a little bit as I started to reread this passage over and again throughout the week. You see, Lazarus is not putting his expensive cologne on the line, but it looks as though he's prepared to put his life on the line for Jesus. You see, despite the risk of the Jewish authorities, Lazarus happily embraces his role as evidence of Jesus' amazing power over death itself. Look at verses 9 to 11 with me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him, You see, Lazarus wasn't hiding away, knowing that he could be implicated with Jesus and therefore have his life at risk. No, he was telling everyone, come one, come all, see the dead man raised to life. Lazarus appears to value Jesus more than life itself at some level, doesn't he? It's almost like he's thinking, yep, I know the chief priests will want to harm me for pointing people to Jesus, but what are they going to do? Kill me? Jesus just raised me from the dead. You think I'm worried about death anymore? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the one that has eternal life in him, and I trust him. But third, wonderful devotion to Jesus is shown here to be personally humbling. We see that, I think, in the fact that Mary goes straight for the feet of Jesus. In verse 3, cleaning the feet of dinner guests was something servants or slaves did. It was dirty. It was disgusting. It was humbling. It was Mary saying, I am not worthy of your love and your kindness. I'm happy to be brought low in order to honour you. See, Mary's actions show us how beautiful it is to be foot washers in our devotion for Jesus. That is, people who are willing to do the dirty deeds that no one else really wants to do in honour of Jesus. Emptying the bins, beautiful devotion. Cleaning the toilets, particularly after all the Sunday school boys have had a go at them upstairs, beautiful devotion. Mary shows us that wonderful devotion is personally humbling. Fourth, Mary shows us that the wonderful devotion, that wonderful devotion to Jesus is actually socially scandalous. And I don't mean offending people with ungodliness or un- obnoxious behaviour. No, I mean it's the attitude that says, I don't mind if I look silly or foolish in the eyes of others for the sake of Christ. Again, you see this in Mary's actions. There she is down at the feet of Jesus, and what's she doing? She's got her hair all out wiping the perfume off Jesus' feet with her hair. Now that kind of may not I mean, look, it's going to seem weird in whatever context culture I think, but we might not fully understand just how scandalous it was in her culture. You see, Jewish women never unbound their hair in public as it would have been a sign of loose morals. You can imagine all the other women judging her in that moment. I'm sure there are one or two, raising their eyebrows at Mary's actions, whispering to one another, what is she thinking? But I think that's the, the point, isn't it? Mary's actually not thinking in this moment about her image in front of others or her reputation She's just thinking about Jesus and how she can love and serve him. And that kind of that kind of mindset's freeing, isn't it? When I was in high school, I remember there was this really enthusiastic girl in our youth group. And this enthusiastic girl organized an event called See You at the Pole. At our high school. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that event before, but what it essentially is, uh, is a kind of national or international, I'm not actually sure, event where all the Christian kids in state schools gather at the flagpole and bow their heads in prayer for all the kids as they walk in. So she asked every Christian to meet at the flagpole before school started to pray for all the students. Well, I went because I felt obligated to go, but I hated every minute of that. You see, I could not bear the embarrassment of all these kids, all these boys in my class, walking past watching me in this little holy huddle over here. You see, we can be consumed with how others view us in our devotion to Jesus, can't we? I think most of us have uh, this going on at some level in our conversations with others. Will we break the social taboo of talking about religion and mention Jesus? Will we risk looking silly for him? See, it's hard to just shake it off, as Taylor Swift would say, that feeling. See, I find it hard to shake that feeling off, and I actually get paid to talk about Jesus. See, Mary's love for Jesus is so great, though, notice, that her fear of others' opinions, fear of embarrassment, that just flies out the window man, it would be good to have that kind of devotion, wouldn't it? So to recap, the wonderful devotion we see in verses 1 to 11 is immensely practical, incredibly costly, personally humbling, and socially scandalous. But here's the question, is Jesus worth all of that? Is he worth of that kind of level of devotion? I mean, it's clear that Judas doesn't think so, isn't it? I mean, see, he thinks Mary's actions are a complete, a big waste. Oh, and notice how he tries to cover up his greedy motivations with that kind of false righteousness. Oh, won't somebody think of the poor around here? Think of the way that this money from the perfume could have helped them. Look at the waste. But you see, verse 6 lets us know what the real story is behind Judas' words, doesn't it? Uh, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag... He used to help himself to what was put in it. He wanted that big lump sum of money in there because the more money in there, the less people will notice when you skim off the top. But see, notice Jesus' response to, to Judas's comments about this being a waste, essentially. Jesus responds by essentially saying, this is not a waste. See, Jesus knows who he is. He knows he's the Son of God who will save the world through his death on the cross. He's thinking this is a wonderful act of devotion to God's Son. Jesus sees it as an anointing for his burial, an act that points forward to that death on the cross, even if Mary doesn't quite see that yet. In verse 8, he says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus is not saying this uh, because he wants people to ignore the poor. All through the Gospels, Jesus routinely calls people to care for and love and give to the poor. What Jesus is saying here is that it's right for him to be the number one priority. Even the good things he tells us to do, like caring for the poor, are but an expression of our primary love for him. Mary was right to honor Jesus this way while he was still with them in person. Devotion to Jesus is never a waste. And you see, we need to hear this because people and perhaps even ourselves from time to time will tell us otherwise i remember a former work colleague saying to me over lunch one day we would occasionally talk about uh, christianity she was more of the atheist agnostic bent but over lunch one day she just said chris just imagine how bad you're going to feel When you die, and then you realize there's nothing on the other side. So how do you think you're going to feel knowing your whole life has been a waste? Now, she didn't say this to belittle me. She said it out of concern as a friend. You see, in her eyes, the weird Christian life I was living the church going, the Bible studies, my my general devotion and faith in Jesus as a whole, in her eyes, that was just a depressing waste of a life. You see, that's why it's so good that we are given the next picture of Jesus in this passage. Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Because, you see, in this next picture we see the answer coming to us loud and clear. Jesus is worth it. He is the worthy king. Worth that devotion. So let's look at that next section. Worthy king. Now, there are two things this frenzy scene tells us about Jesus that reminds us that he really is the worthy king who deserves that kind of devotion we just read about. First is from the crowd who sees him and rightly refers to him as the king, victorious king coming to save. Second is from the prophecy we are given from Zechariah who sees him as the humble king coming to die. So firstly, victorious king coming to save. Uh, The vast numbers of people who had gathered in Jerusalem for Passover actually now gather at the city limits of Jerusalem, together proclaiming Jesus as a victorious king, coming to save his people. Uh, They're waving palm branches, you might notice, which was a a gesture commonly used uh, to convey the celebration of victorious kings. What are they crying? Hosanna. We just sang a song with Hosanna in it. They cry Hosanna, which is the Hebrew reading of Psalm uh, 118, verse 25. And it just simply means, give salvation now. So look at verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Victorious king coming to save. And see, what a victorious king Jesus is. Although the people are shouting praises to Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem here, I actually still don't think they fully appreciate just what sort of king he is what sort of salvation he's bringing. See, I suspect that they're still thinking Jesus is the king, powerful king, they've seen him do miracles, but but the king who will conquer their Roman overlords, who will give them freedom in this world from their oppressors. But you see, we've been seeing all through John's gospel, haven't we, that Jesus is much more than that. Jesus conquers sin, humanity's greatest oppressor. Jesus conquers death, our greatest enemy. You see, he didn't just come to give us a few good years of freedom in this life. He came to give us eternal life with God in His wonderful heavenly kingdom. And though the people rightly called Jesus the King of Israel, he is what we see is that he's actually even more than that in some ways. He came not just to be the great king of the Jews, but of the whole world. Uh, notice that the Pharisees in their frustration at the end of this passage unintentionally make that point. Did you notice what they say in verse 19? See that They are frustrated that so many people are coming and believing in Jesus that they say, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus is worthy of our wonderful devotion because he is the victorious king who brings salvation to the world. But second, Jesus shows us here that he is the humble king coming to die for his people. Uh, Most of us like leaders who are humble, I imagine. Uh, We know this from the workplace. It's the proud, the arrogant leader that we hate taking orders from. But it's the humble leader, the one who's gentle with us, the one who will speak to that angry client so that you don't have to. That's the leader we like to follow. That's the one who we love. But Jesus doesn't come into Jerusalem as a proud, militaristic king. He doesn't come riding a war horse or a chariot, you might have noticed. No, he comes riding on a donkey. Look at verses 14 and 16. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king is coming. See you on a donkey's colt. Now John tells us in verse 16 that the disciples don't really understand what Jesus is doing at this moment, riding on this donkey. You can imagine their response when Jesus gets on the donkey. Okay, a donkey, right. Well, everyone's happy, so let's just roll with this. But you see, it was only after they had seen Jesus glorified, following his death and his resurrection, that they recognized Jesus' actions here to be fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, which speaks of Israel's promised king. We heard it read before. speaks of Israel's promised king, bringing salvation and peace to the nations, not through great demonstrations of strength, but through great demonstrations of lowliness, humility. And you see, we need Jesus to be a humble and gentle king for us if we've got any chance of being saved by him. You see, think about the crowd here just for a moment. Think with me. In this moment, the crowd is shouting, Hosanna to Jesus! Blessed is the King of Israel! But it's only six days later that the crowd actually starts shouting, Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar. You see, the human heart is a scary thing, isn't it? But that's our heart. We are no better than they. We are sinners. We have lived in rejection to God and his Son. Even this week, I'm sure there have been moments of great acts of good that you've done, but there would have been moments where you've either thoughtlessly or willfully rejected Jesus' rule in your life. I'm going to do things my way, Jesus, not yours. And you see, a proud king destroys his enemies without a second thought. But Jesus, the humble king, dies for his enemies. Jesus is a king worth Worthy of our wonderful devotion because his humility takes him all the way to the cross. Uh, in Philippians 2 8 to 11, Paul speaks of Jesus, the Son of God, humbles himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Paul writes, since he humbled himself to death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God raised his humble son to life after his crucifixion in victory over sin and death. And now Jesus actually sits as ruler of all. But in our passage here, he's not enthroned in heaven yet, is he? That's coming. Right now, he's still riding on that donkey. As you see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, are you there saying, Here comes my king? Are you saying, Here comes my king? who takes away my sin. Here is my king. I'll bow my knee to him, and I'll find eternal life. See, if you don't yet follow Jesus, I pray tonight that you actually would come to know how worthy he is of your devotion. The French emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte, was often critical of organized religion. But various recorded statements actually show that Napoleon had a strong disposition towards the person of Jesus. And on one occasion he wrote this, "'I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man,' Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. I think that's quite a profound statement. Jesus' love for sinners leads him to die for sinners, forgiving their sins, renewing their hearts, bringing them in to an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. Millions throughout history have done what Mary did and have thrown themselves at the feet of that king. Have you... Well, this passage gives us a fantastic picture of wonderful devotion. It gives us a fantastic picture of Jesus, our King, who is worthy of that devotion. He's God's King, come to save. God's King, come to die. But how does it affect us in our lives today? What are we to do with all of that? Well, first, I think that makes many of us long to have that wonderful and passionate devotion of Mary to her Lord Jesus. See, if you're anything like me, you will look at a passage like this and an action like Mary's that's so costly and humbling and socially scandalous and, and you'll just think, man, I wish I had that. I wish I could be marked by such devotion to my Lord Now, perhaps you're here tonight, and you're someone whose life is marked by passionate and wonderful devotion to Jesus. Well, if that's you, praise God. Keep going, brother or sister. But I suspect that for many, we may get discouraged as we look at this by the lack of devotion it kind of brings up in our own lives. I wish I could be more humble. I wish I could give more of my time and resources for Jesus. I wish I was more willing to break those social taboos and just freely speak about Jesus with people. I mean, I certainly feel this. So what do we do? How can we actually grow in our worship and our devotion to Jesus? Now, I'll be honest, my first reaction to this passage as I've been thinking about it throughout the week, thinking about its implication on my own heart, I'll be honest, the first reaction I had was to think, well, maybe this is just asking me to do what Mary and Martha do. Maybe that's what I'm being called to do here. I just need to be more devoted. I just need to do more. So, what did I do? Well, I bailed up Ruth for a conversation and I said, Look, maybe we should actually sit down next week, day off on Monday, and just reassess our financial giving. Maybe actually we could give more. I mean, Mary showed costly devotion. I should show costly devotion. And maybe you're the same. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, Mary showed humble devotion. I should do something humbling. Mary broke social taboos out of love for Jesus. I have to go break social taboos now. But you see, the more I've thought about this passage, the more I've thought that the application is not first and foremost, do what Mary did, but know who Mary knew. You see, we actually don't want to put the cart before the horse here, do we? Mary and Martha's wonderful devotion to Jesus was actually simply an expression of their heart that had been changed by Jesus' love for them. And that's ultimately what Jesus wants. He wants hearts that are so changed by his love That they cannot help by showing wonderful devotion. But you see, for that to happen, we have to look again at our worthy King. We actually have to train ourselves to think Jesus is worth giving my whole life for. I mean, the fact that he humbly died on the cross to save me tells me that. You see, the cross tells us that Jesus is far more devoted to us than we ever could be to him. The cross actually gives us reason to love Jesus more than anything in this world. It's as we see the greatness of Jesus' service for us at the cross that our hearts will actually long to show practical service and devotion to him. It's as we see the incredible cost of God's Son giving up his place in heaven and his life on earth for us that our hearts will long to show costly devotion. It's as we see the way he was humbled, stripped naked, beaten, spat on, laughed at, hanging up there on a cross, for us that our hearts will long to show humble devotion for his sake it's as we see the way people turned their face from him from the shame and the scandal of the messiah hanging on a cross that we will long to show devotion that actually scandalizes others Now, Ruth and I still are probably going to reassess our giving. But now I'm not just going into that thinking, I just got to give more. I got to do more. See, thinking upon the cross, make sure that I go into that discussion with a heart now that is shaped by the great cost Jesus paid for my salvation. If we are wanting the wonderful devotion that we see in this passage and we must immerse ourselves in our worthy king and maybe for you that means uh, that you just take some time over this Easter period the next few weeks just to read through the crucifixion resurrection narratives of the gospels maybe you could just make that your bible reading over the next little while read them carefully take it all in and keep thinking as you read it He did this for me. And as you read, pray. Pray that God might help you to know Jesus' salvation and his humble love for you more and more. Because heart transformation is a supernatural business. We actually need to ask for God's help in that work. just in conclusion, we've read tonight about a meal in which Mary took the opportunity to pour out her thanks to the Lord Jesus. Well, you two, uh, after the next song, are going to be coming to a meal in the Lord's Supper where you have the opportunity to pour out your heart in thanks to the Lord Jesus. Take a note out of Mary's book and don't waste this opportunity as you partake in the supper. Look at the bread and remember Jesus' body given for you. Look at the grape juice and remember his blood poured out for you. But let us, after this next song, remember together why our King Jesus is so worthy of our wonderful devotion. Let's pray. Our Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we do have a wonderful Saviour. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts tonight, Lord, to see how worthy he is, our victorious king who brings us salvation, our humble king who dies for us. Father, above all, I pray that our hearts would be so changed by that, that you would work in our lives and bring about that wonderful devotion to him. Amen.